Reading comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. And it can be found on page 1148 in the Church Bibles. Sexual immorality. I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good one, isn't it? I can feel your tension <laughs> at what I might or might not say here. Trust me, I also have, <laughs> I have the same tension up here. Do you remember Sunny D? Does anyone remember Sunny D? Can you just raise your hand so I know whether this needs a lot of explanation or not? Sunny Delight was its full name. Oh, a few more nods, Sunny Delight. The younger ones may have remembered it as Sunny D, and the older among you may have remembered its full name. Um, It was a 90s juice drink branded uh, that it was good for children, uh, better than Coke or any of the other soft drinks. Uh, They marketed it so that mums, particularly in their advertisements, mums would feed it to their kids and they would be given the vitamins and healthy minerals and everybody bought into it, except for my mum, (laughs) who reluctant to uh, let us have it. But uh, it, it had a, um, 
it had a, a marketing value of about 160 million pounds a year at its peak. At its peak that's, that's what it was making. Um, and people were hooked. And then in 1999, I think it was launched in about 1993, but had been around, fun fact, since 1963. Um, <laughs> in 1999, a girl turned yellow because she drank too much sunny delight. And I remember, I remember that moment as a kid. And, and this came to mind when I read this passage. <laughs> I, I know, <laughs> you and me both. Um, we're so often led by our feelings. This is what I think God was using sunny delight to, to say to me as I prepared this, this sermon. We so often are led by our feelings, the shortcut, the easy way. It must have seemed like such a great thing to just give your child this juice drink and it, and it be everything that your child needed it to be. And we blindly follow others without testing what's been said. And perhaps in some ways we can be a bit like Sunny Delight, appearing like everything is good on the surface, leading people to believe that even on the inside we've got it together, dressing our best to cover our worst keeping hidden that which we're ashamed of so that everyone continues to believe what it is we want to portray. Worrying that if people really knew the true us, really knew the story that we carry, we would be unloved and rejected or at the very least unwelcomed and not wanted. Meanwhile, we carry around the weight of what it is in our story that that causes us shame, that perhaps is sin that we don't want to deal with, and we're led by the weight of that sin and shame instead of the love and the grace and the mercy of God in Jesus, encouraged and comforted by the Holy Spirit as we're formed more into our fullest selves, made in the image of God. The passage we read today is not simply about fleeing from sexual immorality, although that is a huge part of it. It's not... It is about being mastered by the desires of our body as though our bodies do not matter. It's to do with self-image, body image, self-worth, integrity, repentance. It's to do with walking in step with the Holy Spirit with a heart that's turned towards God, a God who loves you. And we're going to go a bit deeper in a second, but I just want to start by asking a question as I always do. But this one, surprisingly, you don't have to discuss. <laughs> relief. <laughs> There's the relief I was looking for. Brilliant. Uh, what are you mastered by? What holds you captive that only you and God know about? Let's just have a moment to think about that. It can feel scary at times to think about those things by which we are mastered if we do not hold ourselves in the context of God's grace. Last week, though, and particularly in that final verse that Liz actually read earlier of the section that Tom spoke on from 1 Corinthians, we find the depths of God's grace for what comes next. And unless we fully know this grace, 
this love of God. The bit that comes next might be a struggle to deal with. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Or as it says in the message version, since then, before you knew Jesus, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, by God present in us, by his Holy Spirit. And it is in the living out of our relationship with Jesus that Paul speaks the following words that we read today. And it helps us to understand why our discipleship to Jesus, our apprenticeship to Jesus counts, why it matters. Uh, My dissertation in my final year of uh, Vicar School (laughs) um, was on shame in the church. And it unpacked that the very place we're meant to feel most free and most freed of our sin and our shame can be the place we feel it the most. Brené Brown, a social researcher, says this about shame. She says, if you put it in a Petri dish, it, shame. If you put it in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it cannot survive. Even here in church, we can find ourselves carrying things that we're ashamed of. But today, I want us to remember that Jesus died for your sin and for your shame. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And here, among your friends, among your church family, and fellow believers, should never be a place of shame, but of the overflow of God's grace to deal with what we silently carry and find freedom afresh every week when we gather to celebrate. It's part of what's important about why we gather There's something in us that shifts when we meet in person. I don't need to tell you that when we were cooped up for two years. So whatever we deal with today, whatever this message stirs in your heart, and I hope it's healing, may it be a safe place to share it, a loving place to deal with it, and a grace-filled place to find your restoration in Jesus Christ. Now, where we are in the passage today, Paul begins with a counter-reply. Like a parent of a toddler, he knows what's coming and he knows how they plan to sidestep his arguments and his truths. And so he anticipates the response of the Corinthians who believe that living a life who believe that living a life that was unbothered by sleeping around, treating their bodies as though they didn't matter, was the norm, along the lines of but we're Christians and we're free. And the law is abolished, so who cares what we do with our bodies? It's our souls that matter. I think the modern version would be, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We can do what we want. The Corinthians are the sunny delight PR of the time. And Paul speaks straight into this, and he doesn't fluff about, and he dives straight in using the sexual immorality of the time to deal with the desires of the body and the Corinthian understanding of their bodies, which was not good. In the Greek culture, uh, your bodies were throwaway. When you died, your soul was all that remained, and so that was what was important. So you could eat, drink, sleep, and be merry. No problem. And Corinth was a highly sexualized society. Sexual promiscuity was so common in Corinth that to Corinthianize was a verb. 
If someone was Corinthianized, it meant they had become a sexual deviant. It had over a thousand prostitutes, which is around one in 30 people, if you were to go and walk around. So it's not surprising that this is what they're dealing with and that this is what Paul challenges head on. They would treat prostitutes like an inanimate object, disregarding their body and the bodies of others. And Paul challenges this thinking, reminding them that they are members of Christ's body, that they are united with Christ. When you share in sexual acts with another, it's an act of intimacy, the coming together of two people, united to become one. But here Paul pictures an even greater intimacy, an intimacy with Christ, united in the spirit, one in relationship, reconciled to God. That which has divided is now conquered, and we can be one in relationship with God. And the reason this sexual sin is reiterated in this passage again and again is because Paul notes that if we are united with Christ, if we are one with Christ, we draw someone else into that. If sex is just sex with no meaning, and it's just a bodily function, then why is so much of our pain, so much of our hurt, so much regret, so much abuse of life caused by this very act? We cannot separate our souls and our bodies. Paul plays on the words. That's why it it phrases twice uh, at the beginning of the passage. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. The difference here is that when Paul first says it, he's saying, yeah, it's legal. And the second time he says it, he says, but you don't have to be a slave to it. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul is saying to them, you have misunderstood your freedom. The freedom Christ has bought for you was bought at a cost. Grace cost something. It's not cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer, the theologian, says. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it's been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it was not cheap? But it is not cheap. Grace is costly. And Bonhoeffer goes on to say that costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and it is grace because it justifies the sinner. And above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. And so Paul speaks of this cost. Hey, Corinthians, stop messing around with your bodies because you were bought at a cost. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When Paul speaks of the members of Christ, he's literally talking about his limbs and organs, which was quite controversial at that time. 
You are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. What you do with your body matters. Our bodies are not transient houses for our souls. They matter to God. People see how we behave. People see how we act. But how does it relate to us now? In a culture that's not always that different to the Corinthian culture, where we have a lack of self-control in many, many ways. Addictions, technology, free and unstructured access to most things in the West. A globalized society. What we want at the touch of a button. The speed of a changing culture has almost escaped our our ability to process it. It's fast, it's relentless, and though at the start of the pandemic we all dreamed we would slow down, that has not been the case. We've crawled back into the pace of life that we were not built for. And in this process we give in to the desires of our bodies because we have not rested enough to remember where we come from and whose we are and who lives within us. I wonder what your relationship with your body is like. What has your body carried? What has your body experienced that you feel deeply in your soul? Right now, in this moment, what do you think of your body? Are you rested? Are you weary? Do you carry trauma? Are you carrying the weight of a moment that you long to give to Jesus? Have you forgotten how fused together your inner life and your body and the way you act are? Do you need to forgive yourself and accept the forgiveness of God? Our bodies are now the temple of the living God. However we feel about them, whatever has happened to them, whatever choices that we've made, our bodies, when we say yes to Jesus, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's grace is poured out in Jesus Christ for you, for your whole self, your inner self and your bodies, your body, mind and soul. And you know it's not only up to you to master your body, It's not all on your shoulders to have self-control and self-discipline, to live out your faith. God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us through all things. Jesus died and rose again for us, but the Spirit of God carries on that work of redemption in us today. We are God's masterpiece. We are loved, we are chosen, we are marked out. A royal priesthood. The planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Whatever has gone before, whatever we carry, whatever we've done, whatever we hold, whatever we struggle with, God has made us for a purpose. God's purposes enacted through us. Not because God has to, but because God wants to be in relationship with us. And his grace is sufficient for whatever it is that you carry. Whether the thing feels too small to share, too big to share, God can carry it. And he says to you, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. But there is an act of giving in that on your part. You have to give it to God. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are not made to carry the burden of our sin because Christ has done that for us. Lay it at the foot of the cross with Jesus where he won the victory. Go and see the empty tomb. Freeing us from our sin and our shame. And walk with Jesus this morning as he unpacks his story woven into your story. We're going to pray, and can I ask that we pray for each other too in this moment? There will be people today who carry a lot. This passage brings up all sorts of things for people, and there will be those of us for whom, thankfully, it doesn't. And can I ask you to pray for those for whom it does? Some of us carrying pain, some of us just wanting to get back in step with Jesus and, and carry on living for him enacting the grace of his life in the way that we behave, the way that we make decisions and choices, the things that we do. Some of us perhaps have believed the lies that something other than Jesus will fill our soul and bring us life in all its fullness. And it hasn't come through. Jesus comes through for us time and again. His grace is not cheap, it is costly, but it is also abundant. There is hope for us all in Jesus. Let's pray.